houses to fly. But I enjoy, I really enjoy going there by, via a road trip. Uh, it's about, about a 16-hour drive, something like that, 15 to 16 hours. And, and basically, it can be divided in three stages. Each of these stages uh, is about five hours, a little bit more than five hours. That's uh, where you stop and get gas and, and as you get ready to move on. And one of the things I really like about it is you're making this way up to northwestern Colorado. Each of these stages has a very unique landscape to it. The first stage is from Kennedale to Amarillo. Uh, basically, it can be summed up in one word, flat. <laughs> I mean, you get into West Texas and you see, I mean, and it's pretty cool. You can see from horizon to horizon. And it's a very unique, uh, unique stage of driving. The next stage is from Amarillo to Colorado Springs. And again, even though you've climbed while you're in Amarillo to where you're about three, 4,000 uh, in elevation, uh, you begin to start that climb. You go through Raton Pass, and, and uh, you begin to really experience and feel uh, Colorado as you're getting there. And, uh, and, and that stage, is, it's, a, it's a nice stage. The, my favorite stage is the last one, from Colorado Springs to the ranch. It's when you head west uh, before you get to Denver, then head north, and you, and you go right into the mountains. And uh, it's the shortest as far as distance goes, uh, but it, it takes about as long as the other two stages. And for me, it's the prettiest drive, drive through there. But each, each of those stages has its own distinctive beauty. Uh, each of those stages has its own distinctive contrasts. Each of those stages has its own particular dangers. Uh, when you're driving from Amarillo to here, you don't see these signs. Uh, check your brakes. <laughs> Uh, 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 6% downgrade for the next 12 miles. Uh, you, you don't see those, but each has its own unique, uh, unique uh, danger. And, and, it's, and each of these stages is most appreciated uh, when observed between sunrise and sunset. Life is, like, is likened to a road trip. Uh, it's a journey. And, and this road trip is comprised of various distinctive stages of human experience. During my road trip and during your road trip, we will all encounter the polar opposites, the polar opposites of, uh, of the human experience. We'll experience pleasure. We'll experience pain. We'll experience joy. We'll experience sorrow. We'll experience wholeness. We'll experience suffering. We'll experience disappointment. We'll experience achievement. We'll experience regret. Uh, we'll experience uh, the fact that, that we've lived a, a life well. Uh, we'll experience all those different, different stages, all those different issues as it comes to, to, to uh, the human experience. And, and in those moments, in those moments where, where we are in the minor key uh, stages of life, the lament psalms speak the language of our hearts. These are the psalms where the psalmist cries out, Lord, why don't you hear me? Lord, have you forsaken me? Lord, where, where are you at? And when you read the lament psalms, uh, as the psalmist is, is pouring out his heart to God and being honest before God with those things that he's struggling with and, and, and doing so unafraid, that, that, not, not fearful that somehow God is going to reject him. Uh, as he, he comes in just about all the lament psalms, except probably for one, about all the lament psalms, the, 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 the psalmist comes to the place finally where, where he praises God. And he, and he knows that, that God is with him and that God will strengthen him. Our, our text today, especially Romans chapter 8 and, and, and verse 28, 
has the same message as, as many of the lament psalms, which are given to us for, for, for comfort during those upheavals and, and, and storms of life. And yet this passage is abandoned. Uh, some, for some reason, for, we, we tend to, to shy away from this. And, and either it's due to its familiarity, you know, yeah, all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, to them who are called according to His purpose. You know, we kind of know that one, and, and, and sometimes uh, that, that familiarity uh, uh, causes us to, to maybe uh, avoid that passage of Scripture. Sometimes it's because of its misuse. Sometimes it's because of its faulty understanding. But does the fault lie with the passage or our understanding and use of it? And I would suggest the latter. And our goal this morning as we embark on this different kind of road trip, it's a road trip that, that, I, that hopefully will call, call, cause us to appropriate and appreciate the stunning summit of Romans 8.28 as we drive the winding roads of its context. It, it's a passage we shouldn't abandon. It's a passage that we shouldn't become allowed to become so familiar to us that, that, we, that, we, that we don't go to it often. As I was thinking about this, uh, twice I've gotten to drive up uh, Pikes Peak, and uh, once with my parents and once with, uh, once with my boys. And if you've never done that, it is, it is something to see. It is, it is worth the drive to do that. As you go up and all those switchbacks, and you're going back and forth and back and forth, and, and the different vistas and views that you see at the different uh, uh, elevations. And finally, when you get above the tree line, which uh, tree line elevation, I think somewhere around about 12,000, and you get above to about 14-something where, where uh, Pikes Peak is, and just, just what you can see around it. And all that journey, those switchbacks and that, that long journey to get you to that place where you just see something just glorious. That's what I hope that we'll get to today, to see the glory that is found and the strength that's found in this passage of Scripture this morning. In the first stage, and, and, and it's interesting as we work our way through this, there are three stages as we, as we seek to reach this summit, as we seek to reach this destination of Romans 8.28. The first stage of our, in, our, in our road trip, we experience hope in our present suffering. Uh, look, look at verse 18. Uh, it's, it's found in verses 18 through 25, that paragraph there. And, 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 and let's look at verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Excuse me. If you've taken any kind of lengthy road trip, if you've taken a road trip that lasts more than five or six hours or lasts maybe 10 or 12 or longer than that, you know that every road trip has its ebbs and flows. Uh, there's the excitement as you get started. Uh, and then, you know, if you've traveled with kids, uh, usually and if you leave early in the morning, you know, they're all excited and chattering, and then about an hour or two hours into it, you know, they're asleep, and, you know, and, and, and you're going on. But then eventually, you know, the kids wake up, or you're going, and, you know, you know and then you hear the, hear the question, are we there yet? You know, are we there yet? You know, are we there yet? Uh, and, and, and road trips have their ebb and flows. And verse 18 is the foundational reason and the motivation why we must persevere. Why we must persevere. He talks about the suffering of now, and he compares that with the later glory. The word that he used there that's translated suffering, for I consider that the sufferings, uh, literally, I consider, for I consider that the, the sufferings of now, the sufferings of now. It's the word pathemata. It, it's a broad term. 
It's a broad term that includes misfortune, calamity, suffering, evil, and affliction. So, so Paul is using a very broad term here. He's talking about the, the, the sufferings that we face now, and they come in all kinds of different categories. Sometimes it's affliction. Sometimes it's misfortune. Uh, sometimes uh, it's evil. Uh, sometimes it's suffering. Uh, but but he's, dealing, he's basically dealing with what life is like in this broken world. We live in a broken world, as we'll see as Paul talks about later. We live in a world where corruption rules. Uh, we, we live in a world where futility rules, uh, where things don't work uh, like they're supposed to work. Things don't happen like they're supposed to happen. Things decay over time. And, 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 and that's, the kind, that, that's, that's, that's the import of this word here. It's what life is like in this world. Uh, you know, there are great times, there are wonderful times, but, but we, live in a, we live in broken bodies in a broken world. And, and that's what Paul talks about. And, and think about all the things, as, as we think about all these things that, that we face each and every day and, and, and through the years and the decades of our life, Paul says he compares that to, he says they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's the future doxa. It's revealed not only in, and, and that, that word there, he says, is, that's to be revealed to us. It could also be revealed in us. And, and, and really, it can, I, I think, for example, instead of choosing either or, I think it's and both. It's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. The glory that we see of our Savior. The glory that we see of Christ. Uh, as we talked about seeing Him face to face. And, and, and having lived our lives and experienced the sufferings and, and, and seek to walk in a, in a persevering and faithful way to Him. It's the glory that we're going to see that when we stand before Him. But it's also the glory that's going to be revealed in us. The glory that's going to be revealed in us. As, as, as we come before Him and, and as He looks at our life, not, not whether or not we get to spend eternity with Him in heaven, but as He looks at our lives to determine the degree of our reward. And we give an account for what we've done with the life that God has deposited to us, that God has handed to us, and the glory that comes, not because of our own strength, but His strength, as, as, as the character of Christ has been revealed in our lives. And Paul, as he compares this, he says, this, this, the destination, where we're headed to, the destination that we're headed to is, is, is the glory of God where we see His glory in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see His glory as it is revealed in us, uh, as we've sought, sought to, to persevere and walk with Him in faithfulness. This is the destination. And this is why the road trip, the road trip of seeking to follow the Lord faithfully, this is why this road trip is worth every difficulty obstacle we face. It's worth every difficulty and obstacle we face because the opportunity of His glory being revealed in us and through us and to us is nothing, it's nothing compared to the Papamata. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to that. But Paul just Paul and the scriptures and God himself, they don't just give, paint us this panacea. 
They, they tell us the reality uh, of, of, of what life is like. It tells us the reality of, 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 of what we can experience. And, and we see it there uh, in, in verses 19 through 23, where you see the reality of humanity's road trip unpacked in verses 19 through 23. Look at verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God, uh, for, for, for the sons of God. For the creation is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we ourselves, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. All creation, all creation groans. All creation groans, awaiting its redemption from the bondage of corruption. From the bondage of corruption. We all are corrupted. We all, now, for some of you that are younger, you don't believe it yet. But give another 30, 40 years when you look in the mirror and you're going to say, hmm, there's a little corruption there. <laughs> you know, you don't quite look the same way. You know, isn't it funny how you, I mean, in your mind's eye, I mean, in your mind's eye, you think, I look just like I did back when I was in my 20s, you know? And then all of a sudden there's a picture of you in your 20s and you go, whoa. It's, you know, it, it, it's one thing when other people notice you're getting older. It, it, it's totally different when you notice you're getting older, you know? When other people think you're getting older, you just think, oh, they're just crazy. When you see it, you go, oh, wow, you know, that, 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 that's happening. And, and, and that's what the idea here is, is where we, this whole creation is in bondage to corruption because of sin. Sin started death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, sin results in decay and dying. And we live in a world where decay and dying is prevalent. It's all around us. It's all around us. But not only that, as we mentioned earlier, it's futile. Creation, the, the reality of our road trip is, is that we live in a world that is filled with futility. And we live in bodies that are filled with futility. Again, as you get older, things don't work like they used to. Now, in your mind, you think they should be. But they don't. They don't. And, you know, it, but, and, and, and in our culture, we do everything we can do to, to, to delay that, don't we? There is Botox. I mean, you Botox here, you Botox there. You, you nip and tuck. Wasn't that a, I never watched it. Was that a, uh, one of those reality shows, nip and tuck or something like that? You know, you go to the plastic surgeon and they, and they nip here and they tuck there and they stretch there and they pull there, you know, and they, they you know, uh, all, this, all this different stuff. And, and, and we've got all that available out there so that we can look, you know, and my, my generation, especially my generation, is so narcissistic. You know, when I was younger, you didn't trust anybody over 30. I remember that, you know. You don't trust anybody over 30. My generation now, 60 is the new 30, you know. If you're 60, you're still young, baby, you know. You're still young. 60 is the new 30. Bunch of millennials, you see, you know. Uh, but all that because we, do, we, we, want, we, we just don't want it to sit. We don't want to see the reality of it. Now, I'm not saying we just say, oh, well, I'm just getting older, so, you know, 
hey, baby, this is what, this is what you got stuck with for the rest of your life. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that. But, 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 but the point is, is the fact that, that we, we, li- we, we have to face the reality of what life is like. That's how it is. And, and Paul writes, he also writes ab- about, about suffering and how we groan inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. This whole creation, ourselves and all of creation, we're waiting to be redeemed. We're waiting to be what God intended. So what do we do in the face of this reality? Uh, do, do, we, do we just kind of throw up our hands and just say, well, you know, that's it. That, that's how things are. Nothing can happen. What do we do in the face of this reality? What or how, as a believer, am I to respond that I live in a, in a world and I live in a body that is, that is, uh, that is bound uh, bounded by corruption and, 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 and lives in futility. What do I do? In the face of this reality, we are to meet it with hope. With hope. Look at verse 24 and 25. He says, For in this, we, uh, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience talks about four things. There, there's four things in this context as it relates to hope. First is the content of our hope. Look in verse, again, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. What hope is he talking about? He's talking about the previous phrase above where he says, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. That's the hope. Uh, it's our salvation. Not just necessarily talking about here our justification, but the full orb of our salvation. We're justified. We, we're saved. Uh, we're justified when we put our faith and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So at that moment, I'm saved. I, I'm saved. I've been delivered from the bondage of sin. I've been delivered from the penalty of sin. I, I, I've been delivered uh, from sin's uh, enslavement of me. I, I'm no longer a slave to sin. From the power of sin, uh, from, from, the, from the penalty of sin, I've, I've been set free. But, but also, I'm also in the, pro- the process of being saved. Uh, which is my sanctification. And in that process of being saved, uh, I am, I, I'm no longer uh, bound by sin, and I don't have to serve sin anymore. It's not something that I have to do. But there's also a salvation that I'm waiting for, which is my future salvation, which is the deliverance from the presence of sin, where sin is no longer part of me anymore. As you know, you and I are born uh, depraved. Uh, depra- the total depravity of a human being doesn't mean that human beings are as bad as they can be. Total depravity means that every, every bit of me has been affected and twisted by sin. My mind has, my heart has, my emotions have, my body has. There's not a part of me that exists where sin doesn't have uh, a, a corrupting effect upon my life in this world. And that's the final, that's what we hope for. We live in a world that's groaning. We live in a creation that's groaning. We live in bodies and, and, and minds that have been bound by, uh, by futility, that have been bound by corruption. But our hope is, is that one day when Christ comes, that one day we will be set free from that bondage and that corruption and we will be given a glorified body that will never, ever, 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 ever know sin sin again. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's the content of our hope. 
my hope as a believer goes far beyond the fact that when I die, I go to heaven. My hope as a believer is that I'm going to be what God intended humanity to be when he first created us. A perfected, godly, Christ-like service and worship of him without any human sin. I'm going to live on this earth again one day. And I'm going to live on this earth again one day in a physical body that knows no sin. I'll never think another evil thought. I'll never have another lustful thought. I'll never uh, have any temptation to, to, to uh, live in a way that, it, that is not truthful and honest. All those things will be behind me. Behind you as well. But he also talks about the complexity of our hope. The complexity of our hope is this. Currently, it's unseen and it's not currently experienced. It's alluded to when he says, he says, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for, for what he sees? Hope that is seen is, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Right now, as we look around and as we look at our life, we don't see that. What we see is futility. What we see is corruption. What we see is what Paul cries out a chapter earlier in this when he says, the, the things that I want to do, I don't. The things that I don't want to do, I, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That, that's the world that we live in. Right now, the complexity of it is, is, is that we don't see it. It, it, it seems almost something, something like a fairy tale, something that, that, that's far, 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 far off in the distance. And, and, and it's not, every now and then, maybe we experience just a, a little bit of it. But, but there's not a day that doesn't go by to where, where, where I, I don't sin. There's not a day that doesn't go by, a week that doesn't go by, that I think, Lord, why in the world do you mess with me? When am I going to learn? That's the complexity of our hope. But Paul also talks to encourage us here about the commonality of our hope. Because oftentimes Satan will try to isolate us and cause us to think, you know, Greg, you're the only worthless thing on the face of this earth. Nobody else struggles like this like you. Do you ever, you ever thought that? You, you, you think about your struggles and you think, i got to be the only, everybody else, i, I got to be the only stinking person that struggles like this. You know, no, I look around and I, and, and I see so-and-so and they don't seem to have a problem with that and they don't seem to have a problem with this and they don't seem to have a problem with that. Why am I, I mean, I, I'm just worthless. I, I, I'm no good. But look at, what, look at what Paul says. Paul uses we. He uses we. Six times in this short passage. Look at, look at verse 22. Look at what Paul says. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been growing together. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grow inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Look at verse 24. For in this we were saved. Look at verse 25, three times. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul is telling us, listen, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. As children of God, for those of you who know Christ as your Savior, as children of God, we are in the same boat. We we need the same hope. We experience the same futility. 
we, we experience uh, the, the same corruption. And, and at times, it, it doesn't, it, it, we don't see it taking place in our life. And, and it seems like it, it, it's far away. But Paul says, listen, listen, one of the things that gives us hope is the fact that we all are in this together. We're all in this together. My, my struggle may be, may, the category of my struggle may be different than your category of struggle, but the fact is we, same, we still struggle. We have the same struggle. Uh, struggle is struggle, whether it's over one particular category or diff- another different category, but we still struggle. And Paul says, listen, one of the things that gives us hope is that, not, not that we're all, you know, uh, all screwed up. That's not what he's saying here. What gives us hope is the fact that we understand what, that all of us, listen, you, if someone struggles, you ought to understand that. And all you've got to do is think about your own struggle. Think about your own difficulty. Think about your own shortcomings. Think about, think about your, your own uh, times when, when you are bound and determined that, that, that you're going to walk faithfully with God in this particular area. And, and, and you just you make a bad choice and you don't. And, and you think, my goodness, why do I do that? Why do I do that? But because we have the same struggle, it means that we can have the same compassion for one another. It means that our prayers should have the same fervency for one another because you struggle just like I struggle, even though I may not see it and you may not see mine. And Paul gives us the challenge of our hope. Verse 25, he says, But if we hope for what we do not see, this redemption, this redemption, for if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That word's translated patience in the ESV. It could also be translated endurance. It also has the idea of perseverance. It describes someone who is not swerved from their deliberate purpose by even the greatest trials and sufferings. This is what awaits me. This is what awaits me. And by God's grace and by God's, by God's strength and by God's power, I am not going to stop. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to endure. And even though the struggle is difficult, and even if I can't see it, and even if if, if it's invisible to the naked eye, I know that God is faithful because the deathbed that awaits for me in the future is nothing compared to the tachanada, to the troubles, to the difficulties, to the misfortunes, to the calamities, to the sufferings, to the evil, to the affliction that are my experience now in this earth. But for us, but let's be honest, having hope can be difficult then. You get kind of beat down sometimes. You get to the place where it seems like you're just walking out of one trial and you walk smack right into another. You think you're, you're coming up for air and somebody's on the boat pushing your head back down. Life seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? And and in those times, for us as believers, for us as believers, Paul goes on and he lets us know that the only way that we can live with hope, if we're truly going to live, not with pie in the sky, Pollyanna, kind of like put my bury my head in the sand and 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 and, and, and disregard really what's going around me kind of just whistling in the dark. That, that's not how we deal with these things. 
Paul says that if, if he wants us to have hope, but we have hope, we must, to have that hope, we must have help in our human limitations. We must have help in our human limitations because it is not our nature. It is not our nature to have God-focused hope in and of ourselves. Because we tend to look at the circumstance rather than to look at God. So look at what he says in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit. Likewise. The idea is in the same way or with the same posture. Of course, the question would be in the same way or, or the same posture as who? As who? He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit helps us in our human limitations. And he, so he says, likewise the Spirit. So, so in the same manner or with the same posture as who? And so who sent the Spirit? Well, we know that the Spirit is sent as our paraclete in place of whom? Jesus tells the twelve as he's getting near to the time where he's going to leave them, he says, I'm going to send you another paraclete. I'm going to send you another comforter. Who's going to come? He's going to be like me. He's coming in my stead. He's going to minister. He's going to encourage. He's going to strengthen you. How did Jesus identify with us? Well, keep your place there in Romans, and you know the passage there in Hebrews chapter four. Look at Hebrews chapter four, and we sang about it. Uh, again, one of the lines of the songs that we sang today it talked about this in Hebrews chapter four, and 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 look at verse look at verse fourteen. It says, "Since then." We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Persevere. Persevere. Let us hold fast our confession. Why? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus is able to identify with our weaknesses. He was robed in flesh to understand what it means to be human. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How does Jesus identify with us? He identifies with us with us in our weaknesses. Now go back to Romans again. Look at verse 28. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Weaknesses. How does the Spirit help or identify with us? The text says He walks in our weaknesses. Look at verse 22. Tell me, in verse 22, who or what groans? Read it and tell me who's groaning in verse 22. Whole creation. Look at verse 23. Who or what is groaning in verse 23? Ourselves. Look at verse 26. Who or what is groaning in verse 26? with us. Let's be in prayer.
walks with us, He honors us. But not only that, He knows how to pray for us when we are simply not capable of knowing what to pray or have the proper attitude regarding prayer. In verse 26, He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts, it's talking about the Father, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When you are out of words, the conversation with God can't start. The Spirit He communicates to the Father our pain, despair, and hopelessness. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He communicates to the Father our pain, our despair, our hopelessness, those things that we cannot put into words. He communicates to the Father every aspect of our hearts. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints. The Spirit intercedes for us. And the Father who knows the mind of the Spirit, He knows our hearts. And, and, and the Spirit of God communicates to the Father every aspect of our heart, every doubt, every fear, every uncertainty, every way in which we, we are sick of ourselves at times, discouragement. He communicates to the Father every aspect of our heart and He communicates to the Father in accordance to the Father's will for us in the midst of our current life experiences. He says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Remember we talked about last week as we were looking at Luke chapter 11, and we talked about that phrase, uh, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about the fact that that's more than just physical. And that's a dangerous prayer to pray because basically what we're asking God is give us what we need. And that we are, we are not capable of knowing what we need in our lives at a particular moment in our lives. I remember I told you, what I, what I think I need in my life is, is for my wife to, to, to love and adore me and, you know, kind of stand a few feet behind me. And, I, and before I even think, I mean, she's got the glass of tea for me before I even have to utter a word, you know. I just have to look a certain way. Tea. Oh, that's sweet tea, you know. And, and, and we, we want life to work that way. We think that's what we need, that, that, that everything's got to go well and everything's got to go great and there's no problems and no difficulties. But our God is such a, a glorious and gracious and compassionate and merciful and wise God that well, we don't know what we need. But He does. He does. And there's times when we don't know what to pray. We don't really know what we need. And the Spirit communicates to the Father accordance to the Father's will. In accordance to the Father's will. And while we may not know how to pray, 
We may not know what to pray. And, and, and genuinely, we, we don't. We find ourselves in a situation or find ourselves in, 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 in a circumstance, and, and we're not sure what to pray. Maybe we're dealing with, with, with a difficult situation, maybe with a family member, or, or, or maybe with a job situation, or maybe with a health issue, and, and we don't know what to pray, or we don't know how to pray. But there is something. When you don't know what to pray, and, and you're not sure how to pray, and here's where we're reaching the summit. Here's where we're getting to the top. Here's where we're getting to see that beautiful vista where we've taken those switchbacks of life back and forth. When we may not know what to pray or how to pray, there is something that we can know. We can know without any doubt whatsoever that we are held in our Father's sovereignty. We are held safe and secure in the sovereign hand of God. Again, Go back to verse 27. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We always don't know what to pray. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Paul uses the word oda. It's translated no. He uses it four times in this. First, Look, look at what Paul says we can know. Look at verses 22 and 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons. So the, the sense is idea in verse 23 that we know the whole creation. And he says, and not only the creation, so in a sense that, that we know is created, we also know that we ourselves are groaning. So we know that the whole creation, as well as ourselves, groans. Verse 26 says, We do not know how to pray at times. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray. Look at verse 27. But God knows our hearts, and He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He searches our hearts, and He knows the mind of the Spirit. He knows. We know the whole creation is groaning. We know that we ourselves are groaning. We don't know how to pray, but we know that God knows our hearts because He knows the mind of the Spirit. And then Paul says, finally, we know the implications of the Spirit's ministry, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose for the all things our life experience. But the question is, what is meant by good? Some see this as good as payback, and, and I think that, that, that this is an erroneous view. I think that there's some truth to this, but I, think it's, I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about here. This, this good as payback means this, that, that anything bad that happens must be paid back by something, something equally good. I, I would illustrate it like this. You've all heard this saying, when life hands you a lemon, make lemonade or lemonade, you know. So in other words, here comes these, 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 uh, I was going to say, I was going to say crappy, but I know some people, but that's, I'm growing up, I didn't think of it. You know, here comes this stuff that, I mean, these bad things that come into your life, and, and you know, so you take them, and, and instead of letting them beat you down, you just take them and you just squeeze them lemons and make lemonade out of it. And you take something that was bad, and you make it into something good. 
make it into something good. And, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen at times. There's time that, that circumstances come into our life that, that are bad, and in and, 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 and God's goodness and in God's grace, things can turn around, and, and that bad thing can, be, can become something that, that, that's, that's genuinely good. We, we make lemonade out of the lemons. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. We have to admit that there are times we don't know what good is coming or if the good's coming or not. Where's the good? Where's the good? And, and so I, I think I think there's some truth to that, but I don't think that that's what this passage is talking about. I, I think what is meant by good here is good as destination. And by that I mean that a good destination can be reached on a hard journey. What good comes out of it? God uses all things in our life to bring us to the destination of being conformed to Christ's image. And I think the text bears it out. Look at verse 28 again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Life may hand me lemons, them suckers are too hard to make lemonade out of. But you know what they can do? Through the pain and the doubt and the hurt and the suffering and the brothers and sisters who experiencing the same thing, God can take that and use that and transform it. the work of our triune God here. Jesus, our great high priest, the Son of God, experienced all our suffering because He identifies with our weaknesses. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, groans, explores, understands. He helps us in our weaknesses and brings all our suffering and all our care and all our doubt and all our groaning to a Father who loves us enough to transform us into the image of His Son so that we too get to experience
be my most personal and intense doesn't mean you just kind of sit back and be passive. Decisions have to be made. Difficult things have to be addressed. Counsel may be needed. Change may have to take place. It's not we just kind of sit back and say, okay, God, we'll make it happen. We talk to other sisters and brothers in Christ that that can give us their wisdom that may have walked the same path that, that we're currently walking on. But, but, our, but our, our confidence is, is not in the things that we can gather around us or from others, and though we're grateful for them, and, and God's grace can work in and through that, but our, our confidence when, 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 when we're by ourselves and it's, it's late at night and, and the shadows are long and, 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 and the day has become tired and, 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 the, and the bondage of corruption is, is closing in and the futility of life is, is screaming out, in those dark, quiet moments, or let me rephrase that, in those dark, tumultuous moments, sinners. We're born in rebellion against God. God has every right. God is just to ban and deem and banish the thought. That's what we would do. But yet God in His mercy and God in His grace took the initiative to reach down to rebellious people and sent His Son, His Son, God the Son, the Son of God, robed Himself in our flesh, lived our life experienced our difficulties, was tempted in every point like we are, yet without sin, and offered up His perfect life and perfect righteousness as a substitute for our lives and our unrighteousness. He died a substitutionary death for us. He paid the penalty of humanity's sin on that cross. And when a person turns to Christ and they recognize the fact that there's nothing that they can do you can try as hard as you want to, but it's never good enough. It's never good enough. Because if we, if that's how we made it, then we would have something to boast and brag about. When I put my faith and trust in Him, there's nothing I can brag about except Him. and put my faith and trust in Him. That Jesus is who He says He is. And that what He accomplished on that cross is 
is sufficient for my sin. And I put my faith and trust in him. I'm born again as a child of God. And I will forever, ever, ever live in the presence of my father. He's already done that for you. And I hope you'll cry out to him. God, I'm going to let you come in. You don't know these words. You know these particular lines of faith. thank you, Father, that in a world where trust, finding a place to, to, to put trust is hard to find, we're grateful that our trust when it's deposited to you is never a misplaced trust. Lord, we ask your blessings upon this time. We ask your blessings upon our hearts today as we take your word and apply it to our life. Father, we ask that you would strengthen us today and Lord, may we leave here today with the hope of knowing, Father, that that you're at work in our life for good. Thank you, Father, for the fact that, that you're taking us to a destination. You're taking us to a place. And Lord, that when we stand before you and we experience the glory, glory that, that, that we're just, we've never experienced before, glory that we've never seen, glory that is beyond our comprehension, the glory of our God and King, that when we see it and when we experience it and when it is to us and in us, Father, the things and troubles and difficulties of this earth, all those things, all those pakmatas will be as nothing. Thank you for your goodness and graciousness to us. Pray your richest blessings upon your word today. We pray these things in Christ's name for his son. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As you know, we don't have an altar call, but we do have an appeal. A time for you to respond because we're all going to respond to God one way or the other. If you know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you, if you have uncertainties about that or not sure about that or you want to cry out, we encourage you to do so. For those of you who are believers today, give you an opportunity to pour your hearts out open to the Lord. Or you want to go to the Lord in a time of silence, and then after a time of silence, uh, we will close out our service in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we thank you today that as believers we are sheltered in your arms. That you are a safe haven to rest in. Pray, Father, that you would strengthen your people today. You would encourage their hearts. Father, for those that may not know Christ, Lord, I pray that seed has been planted and watered. And Father, that you would open up minds and hearts of understanding. And Lord, that they would come to a realization, come to a saving knowledge of you. Lord, thank you for your work of grace in our lives. Thank you, Father, for taking the very worst things that can happen in our lives and, Lord, using them in such a way that you the character and image of your Son can be manifested in us. Lord, we pray that you would help us this week. And Lord, we thank you. We pray that your word would uh, find fruit in our lives this week. Lord, protect us from the evil one. Help us not to succumb to the trials that we face where we lose heart. Help us to continue to go forward in doing well, doing good. Father, protect us from the temptations that we might succumb to that appeals to our flesh and causes us to live for the present rather than living for future glory. Lord, thank you for your patience and your kindness to us. Thank you, Father, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, that we can rest with confidence in a sovereign hand, a sovereign, loving, good hand that is our Father. Bless us now as we go out of this place. Protect us. Lord, watch over us. And we thank you, Father, opportunity of life today, and we pray, Lord, in your mercy and grace that you would bring us back to this place next week, where once again we can be encouraged by the people of God to sing praises to you and to allow your spirit to take his word to transform and change our lives. Thank you for the gift of today. Help us to live it well. We pray these things.